0: your Bibles. We're going to continue our series through 1 Peter. We're in the fourth chapter. We're going to go verses 7 all the way to verses 11. 1 Peter 4, verse 7 to 11. I'll be reading from English Standard Version. This is the Word of God. Ready? The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.
1: Okay, good afternoon, King's Cross. It's great to be here with you. Um, Whether we've been Christians for a long time, or today's your first time in church, whether we were excited to brave the rain and come here uh, this afternoon, or we had to be motivated by somebody else to attend, I believe the fact that we are here means that God is working in our lives and inviting us uh, to know him, to live our lives with him. Thank God for this, and I pray that each of us, including me, will have our hearts and our ears open to hear from God today. We are continuing our series in 1 Peter, as Pastor Tommy mentioned, and I'd like to start with a disclaimer. This message is going to start a bit depressing and then get to a happier note. As read by Pastor Sangmin, the first verse today says, The end of all things is near. Thanks to now classic movies like Armageddon and Terminator, I May Be Dating Myself, and pretty much every single zombie themed and Marvel movie in recent years, many of us have been overexposed to all of the possible variations of what the end of the world may look like. Yet when Peter who was one of Jesus' disciples, wrote this around AD 60, he was not thinking of 21st century movies, but rather he was thinking of the return of Jesus. Peter later writes in 2 Peter 3.10 that when this day, the return of Jesus comes, the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare that description actually does not sound too different from the movies. We don't know exactly what this day will look like, but the Bible says, and the Bible says, none of us will know when this day will be. But today, with Russia and Ukraine, and the threat of the use of nuclear weapons, and North Korea, and false alarm bomb warnings at 6 a.m., which we had in Seoul about a month ago, and climate change, and rapidly developing AI technology and weapons, where scenes from a movie like Terminator don't seem too far off into the future, we may be just a few steps away from a a major global catastrophe coming to life. At the same time, it has been nearly 2,000 years since this was written, and the world is still spinning, and Jesus has not returned. So was this a fake-out? when peter said nearly 2000 years ago that the end was near peter actually addresses this later also in second peter chapter 3 when he's referencing back to psalm 90 and he says with the lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day jesus is delaying his return so that as many as possible may come to repentance when you consider that common saying that time passes at 20 miles per hour for those in their 20s and 60 miles per hour for those in their 60s, what's a few thousand years to God who has existed since the beginning of time? Jesus tells us in Matthew 24 that no one knows when he will return. For us this afternoon, the main takeaway from this verse 7 is for us to live and regularly consider the fact that our days are numbered. Even if it turns out to be the case that the end of all things is not so near for the world as we may normally consider an event that is near, the reality of life is that the end may be close for any one of us on any given day. One random accident, one random uh, or a doctor's diagnosis can turn our lives upside down immediately. Some of us have experienced this, either directly or with somebody close to us. The character Jake Sully in Avatar 2 says, the thing about happiness, it can vanish in a heartbeat. For the Christians who were living in Peter's time, that was absolutely their reality, with the severe persecution of Christians by the Roman Emperor Nero, which led to many Christians, including probably some of the original readers of this letter, becoming martyrs for their faith. Pastor Sangmin quoted verse 12 of this chapter last week. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. Life is going to be difficult at times, or most of the times. Some of us may be in a stage like that right now. As verses 13 through 19 note, sometimes we bring the suffering upon ourselves with our own mistakes But Peter says we may suffer even when we're doing everything right as a Christian. That is the reality of life. The end of all things is near. Peter is saying to the church and to us this afternoon, wake up, see the world and life for what it is. Do not turn a blind eye to the reality of suffering, of death, and the brevity of life. In light of that reality, Peter then tells us what we should be focusing on. And as we get to that, we're going to queue up a one-minute video from YouTube uh, that's going to test our abilities to focus on living wisely. Um, we're just going to let the video run, but there's going to be a section uh, where there's a question about a number. And in that split second, if you have it in your head, you'll see what I mean, but you can, you can feel free to shout it out, okay? So let's queue up the video. Let's see how well we do. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? Answer The answer is thirteen. But did you see the moon-walking bear? Go! All right, my kids really love that by the way. Um, they didn't believe at first that the bear had appeared the first time uh, you know, on the repeat, so I had to actually rewind the video to the beginning to restart the video to convince them. Um, that, that was an illustration of an idea called selective attention, where we focus on a particular object in an environment for a period of time and ignore distractions and irrelevant information. And I think it conveys a point to us today. We live in the modern day with our always-connected devices, and we are constantly bombarded by uh, various messages of what's important, of what we should be living for, that we may very easily not focus on and not give time and attention to what's truly important. The beginning of the video told us to count passes, and this may not be so different than what the world tells us is important. Worldly achievements like collecting educational degrees, advancing in our careers, accumulating money or possessions or likes on their social media account. These are what Pastor Peter Kim referred to a few weeks ago as seeking honor for ourselves. The world tells us to focus our time and efforts on those things. Peter tells us to focus on something different and much more real and interesting and exciting and joyful represented by the moonwalking bear. Selective attention says it's very difficult to focus on multiple things all at once. Our attention has to be on one or the other. This may be why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve both God and money. Are we counting passes or are we focused on the moonwalking bear? Are we focused on the right things? Now, Peter's primary purpose in writing the end of all things is near was not to depress us, or scare us, but to remind us of our reality and to instruct us on what we should be focusing on, which we will not turn to. We see that the word immediately after, the end of all things is near, is therefore. The end of all things is near, so therefore. And just before we get to what Peter says, what does the world say? A popular mindset among young people today is YOLO, You only live once. So live it up and experience and do as much as you can. Yet as Christians, we believe that all good things are from God, but that even the best experiences in this life are but a glimpse of what is to come. This world is just a dim reflection of the glorious reality that we will experience one day. So we don't need to have FOMO, fear of missing out, about eating at the hottest restaurants or wearing the latest designers and driving the fancy cars. Jesus says in Matthew 6 Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the non believers seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Peter's instructions after therefore tell us how to seek God's kingdom. And it's very simple. Pray and love. First prayer. Verse seven, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. The message translation says, Stay wide awake in prayer. How's your prayer life? How's my prayer life? Prayer is hard, if we're honest with ourselves, I think, for, for most of us here. One source of comfort and encouragement to us all is that it's the Apostle Peter who wrote these words. It's comforting because we see in Matthew 26 that in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus was crucified, it was Peter who could not stay awake and pray with Jesus, not once, but at least two times, despite Jesus specifically asking, Peter, please watch and pray with me. This tells us there was a time when Peter, who wrote these very words to us, for us to be self-controlled and sober-minded for our prayers, this same Peter had trouble praying himself. Perhaps he had had a bit too much wine at the Last Supper. Growing in prayer is a process, and sometimes we'll do well, and sometimes we won't, but we should be growing in prayer over time. This passage encourages us because if God can help Peter go from the guy who couldn't stay awake and pray with Jesus in the hour of his greatest need— to this bold believer urging the early persecuted suffering church to pray, God can also help us grow in prayer. When we pray, we hear from God, and he gives us guidance on how to live our days. The world may give us deceitful messages like Count the passes, but we can hear from God in prayer and know to look for the moonwalking bear. In prayer, we learn to distinguish between what is important, what is less important, and see with the right perspective. God cannot tell us how we ought to live. He cannot guide us unless we pray and we're connected with him. We believe that God hears and answers every single one of our prayers. 1 John 514, 5.14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. God hears and he answers all of our prayers in one of our in one of three ways you may have heard this before yes later or better as a simple example my kids might ask dad it's a hot summer day may I have a smoothie yes kid you can have a smoothie Two, dad may I have some wine later kid I look forward to enjoying some great wine with you one day, but you're a bit too young for it now, so we'll we'll enjoy some together later. Dad, may I play video games for 12 hours a day? No. What's better? (laughs) Young is cheering back there. (laughs) What's better for your soul uh, and your future is if you play a bit, but also engage in activities other than video games, like playing basketball with your friends or enjoying nature. As he answers our prayers, God is wiser and kinder than any earthly parent. Church, do we know the great freedom that we have in prayer? This is something that has been life-changing for me. When we are anxious or worried, it's often because we think we know how our lives ought to go. I need to have that job I need to be with that person. I need to get into that school. I need to live in that neighborhood. I need to have this type of car and these types of friends. We, in prayer, we're confessing to God, we don't run the world. We don't know how things should go and how things should be. We don't know when the end of all things will be. We don't have the perspective you have, God. We don't have the perspective that today's disappointment may be something that I'm grateful for sometime, sometime down the line. So we lift up the prayer to you, and then we accept, in submission and freedom, your response: Yes, later or better. Philippians 4:6:7: Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Before any important meeting, uh, for example, at work, I try to remember to say a short prayer and turn over to God any anxiety in my heart. You can do that before a test or before anything uh, important in your life. Are we worried about something right now? Raise the issue to God, ask him to guide you with wisdom in the matter, then rest in your soul knowing that your heavenly father will answer in the best way and that you've turned it over to God. He may not always answer how we wish he would, but in those cases, we're trusting that he knows better. The end of all things is near. Therefore, pray so that God may guide us in how to live and that our souls can rest. Pray and rest. Rest. Secondly, as we pray and hear from God, there is a way of life that God calls us to. After the instruction to pray in verse 7, verse 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Do we know where the concept of love comes from? The Bible says love comes from God. 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And Jesus spoke a lot about love. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is not the romantic love often portrayed in Hollywood or Korean movies with fuzzy feelings, flowers and chocolates, and lots of emphasis on physical attraction. This love is much deeper richer, and stronger, and steadfast. It's based more on commitment and actions rather than on temporary temporary feelings that pass after some time. Frankly, it's a lot harder. So what is this love that's described in the Bible? Verse 8 says that this love covers a multitude of sins. When relationships break down, there is often a lack of the type of love that covers over a multitude of sins. In close relationships where you spend lots of time together, it's inevitable you do you do things, you say things that hurt the other person. This happens in marriages. I'm sure the married couples here in our church can testify to, the, to this, though hopefully uh, not too eagerly. And this all, also happens in friendships and between colleagues and in any other close relationship. However. If there's an underlying love that's covering the relationship, you can usually work it out. You give the other person the benefit of the doubt, and you try to understand things from their perspective. You forgive them because of your love for them. If there's no love, you don't want to give them an inch, and you critique and you nitpick every offense and wrongdoing. Another way to think about this is that love is able to absorb the sins of others. When we are wronged, there is pain. And our natural instinct is to do wrong right back and inflict pain in return. Christians are called to absorb the pain, cover over those sins, and leave judgment to God. And by the way, covering over sins does not mean that we turn a blind eye and pretend that a wrong didn't happen. It involves seeing very clearly the wrong that has been done to us. It also does not mean that we don't get angry. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry but and do not sin if we have been wronged we can be angry we can be disappointed and there is pain but love that covers sins means that we don't stew in our anger to take revenge we do not wish ill or eternal damnation on the offender. we don't get out of voodoo dolls and start poking this covering love may not happen immediately it is often a process and sometimes a lengthy process. But hopefully, one day, we can get to a place where we pray in our hearts for that person to repent and turn to God. We try to live out this kind of love because this is the love that Jesus first showed us. Before God, aren't we ourselves the ones constantly doing evil in his eyes? Would any of us stand innocent? If all of our thoughts and actions were on display for everyone to see, that's a horrifying thought. Jesus does not turn his back on us, no matter what we do. He seeks us out and runs out to meet us when we return to him. Jesus saw all our sins, and he absorbed them. He absorbed a multitude of the sins of the world and covered it by taking it upon himself on the cross. Jesus prayed for those who were crucifying him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is hard. None of us will do this perfectly. Uh, One benefit of getting older is that you have more life experiences to draw from. And one practice that I've tried to implement after repeated bad experiences of reacting immediately in anger, uh, whether at home or at work, is that I try to avoid saying anything. Or writing e- anything, whether uh, emails, messages. Uh, I try to avoid doing that when I'm angry. It annoys me, and I want to respond in a curtly mean manner with some touche response, haha. <laughs> I check my heart, and usually at that moment, there's no love for that person. So in my better moments, I think what's the loving thing to do? How would I want to be treated if I were making the same mistake as this person? How do I, in my response, best cover for this failing as Jesus has covered over all my failings? Going through that process in my heart has led me to wiser and kinder decisions. Peter says, practice the type of love that covers over a multitude of sins. As you pray every week in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Verse 9, very quickly. Love offers hospitality without grumbling. In the early persecuted church, believers often met at homes. So you can imagine that some households constantly had people gathering, and there were cases where leaders may have asked families to host a meeting, and they may have said yes with a smile when initially asked, but privately grumbled about the burden. Probably there were people coming into their homes that they didn't even like. So those practical situations, when we feel a burden on our time, energy, or finances, that is where love is often tested. It may be a sign that we're doing something right if we're feeling a bit stretched and uncomfortable at times in serving God. All love that is meaningful is sacrificial. Think about what it takes for any good parent to love their children well. Any love without the willingness to sacrifice is not true love. Yet the sacrifices are well worth what we gain in return. The love that we experience in friendships and community, and in better understanding the love that God has for us, make it 100% worthwhile. Jesus himself had no home while he served on earth. Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. When we see Jesus, who left his heavenly home and even gave up having an earthly home during his ministry in order to love us, perhaps we can be more willing to open up our homes and our hearts to others. Finally, verses 10 through 11 Love serves with everything that we have. Each of us has unique talents and experiences and personalities and giftings that no one else has. We are to make it a priority to take the talents, time, and resources that God has given to us and use them to love and serve others. There is a story. I haven't researched that in depth to know how true it is, but I think the message is good. The story goes that in World War II, There was a French village. They lost a beloved statue of Christ in a bombing raid. The villagers were devastated. They lost this uh, big statue that everyone really loved in the town square. So they looked for all the broken pieces to try to put it back together. And they did. They managed to rebuild the uh, head, the body, the arms, the legs, and the feet. But they could not find and rebuild the hands. And eventually... Um, So those pieces were never found in the rubble. So there was a statue of Christ. It's missing the hands. So eventually, and perhaps taking it as a sign, the villagers placed a plaque on the statue with an inscription as if Jesus were speaking to the church. I have no hands but yours. After his resurrection, Jesus is not found in a temple building or an altar or an object through which people can see him. What Jesus left the world for it to know him is the church, you and me. We, King's Cross, are the representation of Christ to the world. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his mouthpiece. Nothing shouts Christ louder. Nothing shines Christ brighter. Nothing is more countercultural or a more powerful witness than when we practice the kind of love that is described here in 1 Peter, a love that covers over a multitude of sins, a love that welcomes people into our homes and our hearts, a love that serves and does not wait to be served. This kind of love is amazing. This kind of love shines Christ to the world. We, in the body of Christ, remember God's perfect love We declare it, we share it, and we practice it. If you are someone here who has not found the regular church community after COVID, this passage is saying, find one, commit to showing up regularly, and look to see where you can love and serve. That church does not necessarily have to be King's Cross, but find a body of believers that can be the hands of Christ to you and to whom you can be the hands of Christ. We cannot practice God's love and share it with others sitting at home on our own. Just like prayer, this kind of covering, sacrificial, serving love is hard. We will fail at it at times, many times, and that's okay. Love was a process for Peter too. If you remember, he was actually rebuked at one point by the Apostle Paul for showing favoritism to the Jews and not loving the gentiles well. So we know that Peter also went through a process of growing in love over time. As we wrap up, my wife and I recently watched a Netflix show called Siren. I don't know if you've seen this. It has teams of women from different professions: firefighters, athletes, soldiers, stunt women, police and bodyguards competing in a physical competition. The soldiers were were actually the most aggressive team. And I had a realization that that makes sense because the soldiers were the only profession in that group where attacking and harming others was part of their job. Our habits and practices become a part of our character. Anyway, one of the competitions was digging dirt. They had to dig a deep pit. And I think both firefighters and soldiers have to dig as part of their jobs. So they were pretty good. The teams dug for hours lots of sweat and hard work. And as they dug, there were prizes that they won. And one of them was being able to pour lots of dirt into another team's pit. So they win the prize, uh, want to use it against the firefighters, and bring these big barrels of dirt, just put it all in there after they've spent hours digging. And so this happened to a few teams. And the teams that faced this had to get over this disappointment, focus again, and keep digging. And eventually, after hours of digging, they're exhausted by this point, one of the teams finally reached the grand prize. It was represented by a faucet, and when they turned it, a strong stream of water gushed upward like a big fountain. That, and, and that led to a very good prize in the competition, right? it gave them a big advantage. That digging price process and the big prize may not be too far from the experience of growing in prayer and love. It is hard work at times, like digging. There may be setbacks, but when we focus and work on those disciplines and actions, our theme for this year is grit. By God's grace, we will find great treasure that we cannot have imagined. In this day and age, it's so easy. I worry about this with our kids and their devices. It's so easy to focus on counting passes, whatever is immediately urgent at the moment, whatever comes up on our screens, that email, news, why do I even care about this news? Why am I reading, you know, spending the last 20 minutes looking at this, right? That we neglect vital and life-giving practices that require discipline, commitment, and work. But not prioritizing prayer, not living out godly loving community, That's like us missing the moonwalking bear as we live life. I pray we would not be ones who miss the moonwalking bear. I pray we will grow in prayer and our trust of God and in the love of Jesus. I pray that you and I, King's Cross, will be known as a community that is well loved by Christ, that loves each other and the city and the world with the love of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for showing us what love is. Thank you for your sacrifice for us on the cross so that we can come to you in prayer without shame, knowing that you are pleased with us and accept us, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has already done for us. Would you help us to pray and be guided by you? and love others as you have loved us. By your grace, may King's Cross be a church that prays, a church that loves, and a church that declares your goodness and love to the world. Amen.